0: Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis, I'm the driver of the number 9 Pilota Network Synchros Racing for Mazda car, and welcome to the Book and the Bird Show. show on this three-day Labor Day weekend if you're in the U.S.
1: That's right. Not every place in the world has Monday off, though there's probably some bank holidays around. I'm pretty sure England has a bank holiday.
0: Well, I think there was a bank holiday last week. I mean, there's been some bank, some of the other countries have had other weeks, but this is our weekend.
1: Yeah. We don't get many of these in the (laughs) U.S. I guess we don't believe in bank holidays, but uh, we have a three-day weekend, and I have yet to do nothing for one of these days, which is really rather sad.
0: Sorry. You know who else is not doing uh, nothing this weekend?
1: Not doing nothing. How many de- negatives can we put in that sentence? I don't
0: know. I could probably come up with more. Okay. But do you know who else? Well,
1: there's all of the F1 teams that are working well, I, this weekend. I was going to start with our friend Robert McGinnis. Oh, what is he not doing nothing with?
0: This this is the final weekend and the last two races of the pro mazda presented by cooper tire series i got it right this time nice (laughs) so he is racing he's got not one but two races this weekend um so far race number one has completed that was actually yesterday um not as good a weekend for him unfortunately um, so he qualified in sixth for race one and ended up, he moved up a position, ended up finishing in first, or excuse me, finishing in fifth. Okay. Um, I was going to say that was quite a weekend if he did yeah, then. No, he did not do that. Um, Rinus VK, uh, qualified on pole for race two and actually finished in second.
1: Okay. Um, you're a little confusing because race two hasn't been run yet,
0: correct? No, he qualified same race i'm still talking about did i mess yes, it up yes okay. you did so okay let me let let's start this all over again so robert McGinnis, qualified in 6th moved up to 5th in for race, race 1, one. um renus vk still on race 1 have not dealt with race 2 yet qualified in first had pole and finished in second behind oliver askew oh but and and there there's a, a silver lining here, is that um, Oliver probably is not going to overtake Renus for points. Well, I, I don't think... think there's enough points left. I think Renus has got this. Um, so for qualifying two, uh, Renus has again qualified in first, but Robert has qualified down in fifth. Ah. Now, in terms of the overall standings for the series, as we go into uh, race number two, Renus VK in first with 366 points, followed by Parker Thompson in second on 319 points. So there's room here. I mean, Oliver really didn't do—Oliver's down at 258, and he's third. Right. So Oliver doesn't have a fighting chance here.
1: But Oliver is the one that Robert fought with last year in— What is that, F2000? Yes. Um, And they were neck and neck last year. So I don't like to see Oliver finish ahead of Robert.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, So Robert is still down in six with 243 points. Uh, He's behind his his other teammate, Carlos Cunha, uh, with 252 points. And again, it does not appear that Carlos is running this weekend. Oh, I wonder what's going on there. Don't know what's happening. But it's possible that a a good finish, I mean, you're talking nine points, Robert could possibly move up to fifth.
1: Oh, that would be nice.
0: So that's where the Pro Mazda series stands. Okay. We also need to talk a little, before we jump into too much, with where the Fantasy GP standings.
1: Yeah, where are we with
0: those? Well, here we go. Last week, F-1 returned from the summer break with a bang and spot. In the last week, Patricia's The Bird team won the week with 143 points, followed by Phil's Team Rocket in second with 128 points. The boys' Mulent Black Cats team was third with 105 points, and Michael's Mop 5 Racing team was in fourth with 103 It was a hard week for Agro's Puppet Racing team with just 98 points and Richard's Fly Fast team with 88 points. There's been no movement in the overall league standings with Patricia's The Bird team still in first with 1,664 points, while Michael is still in second with 1,610 points. Bill's Team Rocket is in third with 1,594 points, and Agro's Puppet Racing is in fourth with 1,539 points. The Boy hangs on to fifth, with 1,361 points, and Richard's Fly Fast team is in sixth with 1,329 points. You can still test your predictions against ours every week by going to fantasygp.com and entering the lead code 14831491.
1: Wow, you really liked that music this week, <laughs> huh? <sighs> Because you cranked that, and you can't hear you. Uh,
0: yeah, I was trying to balance it out there. but Yeah, you, know, you came it's... nowhere close. Oh, well.
1: Uh, I hope everyone loves the musical interlude. If you need a recap, <laughs> quickly, um, I'm still in first. And for the first week, I think uh, the boys team did not finish last.
0: He hasn't finished last in a co- He doesn't always finish last. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, but he was third
0: last week. He was, which is bizarre with his strategy that he was third of, you know, all Sebastian Vettel's. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but alas. Gonna need to reach out to the folks at Fantasy GP to have them take a look at that little flaw in their plan.
1: (laughs) it still doesn't mean that he's like able to win i mean no he can't you but sandbag it he's by doing, doing
0: that. a whole lot better than he should be for doing that <laughs> let's just put it that way
1: um but no this has been fun but the season's starting to close in and we still have a lot of races left um but it should be very interesting because i can't maintain this for very much longer i'm sure
0: <laughs> well Not only do we have a lot of races left, we have a lot to talk about this week. So So by its default here. Okay, so we're going to go strap mode three, strap mode three. We need to pull a gap. We need to pull a gap. Don't ask questions. Just execute.
1: All right. I hope everybody that's in their cars have their seatbelts on because you're going to strap in because we're going through the news. And, you,
0: you know, just coincidentally, that happened at Monza, what? Two years ago, three two, years ago, two or three w- years was ago. Strat Mode Three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes,
1: it's also my calendar reminder. So whenever the sound is on my phone and I get a, you know, fifteen minute warning for a meeting or something, all of a sudden <laughs> I have <laughs> it's a, it's time to pull a gap in Strap Mode Three and Hammer Time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and your coworkers go, "What? What
1: in the world is that?" I also have uh, the Doctor Who uh, intro, the TARDIS sound, sound as my text message sound, um, and that seems to freak people out, too.
0: (laughs) All right. So first off, there's been a lot of talk this week, thanks to um, Lawrence Stroll getting his hands on the Formula One team, buying his son a birthday present, Christmas present, and all of that stuff. Um, but it's known that Lawrence really wants to create a B team for somebody, particularly Mercedes. Correct. Well, that has all kinds of concerns to it, clearly. Um,
1: Why? Ferrari's been doing it for years. Red Bull pioneered this plan.
0: Yes and no. Yes and no, because there are restrictions in what these teams are supposed to be doing and coordinating with each other, and how much research can be shared and what kinds of research can be shared. And while, yes, they've ease the limits a little bit and you've got Haas that is that is pushing those limits as much as humanly possible there is concern that teams may try and do a bit more combined with also that becomes a voting block in the strategy group and there's concern about Mercedes getting more power in, this, in, in having a voting block along, the, along these lines. Now, Williams has turned around and said, "Yeah, we, yes, we have Mercedes power, but we are independent. We are our own team. We do whatever we want. And if Mercedes wants to go off in one direction that we don't agree with, we're not going to go that route. We have no word that a Lawrence Stroll would do the same thing. And that's one of the concerns. The other concern is, as we start going down this road of potentially having cost caps there's concern that in a way to possibly spread the cost of R&D across the teams, that maybe these larger teams would find a way to um, encourage their client teams to pursue research that would benefit the entire group. So you, you research front wings, you research rear wings, I'll research floors, and then we'll kind of maybe sort of pool our resources.
1: My soapbox is about to come out, so you have to be very careful because you know how I feel about this stuff.
0: Well, how do you feel about this stuff?
1: Well, I believe fervently that if F1 is to remain the pinnacle of motor racing, then things like cost caps and development – needs to be less regulated, not more regulated. And here's the thing. I fervently also believe that if a team can figure out how to spread some of the costs around, I think that's a pretty reasonable concept. Now, I, in conjunction with all of this, I kind of believe that the team shouldn't be on the strategy group. I don't believe in that. I don't think that they should get the voting block that they currently get on rules and regulations.
0: Well, see, I don't completely agree with a lot of that. One, I think the teams do need to have a say and an input. They shouldn't be the final say. The FIA should have that. But the teams should have a say in the direction of the sport and of the series and of the rules. They're the ones who ultimately need to be able to make that determination as to whether or not what the rules are going to require of them is achievable from a lot of different perspectives. And in, in, in that respect, it's really no different than um, your Major League Baseball or your Major League Soccer or any of these other championships where the team owners determine the direction of their sport. They may do so within the bounds of the international governing body in the case of, say, soccer and, and some of these other sports. Yeah, not as much of an issue with, with Major League Baseball or football or something. But in terms of soccer, yeah, they're, they're playing under the guidelines that FIFA sets down for them. But the league operates under its own set of rules.
1: OK, but here's the thing. Currently, the way the voting structure sits, the current way the voting structure sits, not all teams have an equal voice in that.
0: That's different.
1: So I said the strategy group. The strategy group is a small subset of the teams.
0: But th- that's not that the team shouldn't have input on the strategy group. That's actually that all the teams should have input on the strategy group. Not none of the team should have input. Well, totally different concept there.
1: But okay, but the teams have input in as a team. Mm-hmm. I strongly suggest that we remove the strategy group. The teams have the team input. There is no sh- team strategy group because all the teams have the input, but they should all be treated equally and fairly. And that's part A of my of my reform to Formula One is that we start with an understanding that all teams should have an equal and fair footing and that doesn't mean artificially controlling things in one direction but not leveling the playing field in others yeah and i think that honestly you know free fair access to all of the prize money that should be distributed by rank it oh, fair to the entire grid to the entire grid you participate you get a part of the pie mm-hmm. i think that's reasonable um I think all the teams should have a vote and a say in trying to direct and make changes towards the sport. But I think final say should fall back on the FIA and the motorsport governing bodies. But this idea that a strategy group, it, it's... Okay, so we went to Open House this week, so I'm thinking of the book. But do you remember in the book Orwell's Animal Farm that all animals are created equal except you
0: know some are very more equal equal than than others others. yeah
1: that's the concept that is what we are seeing is oh yeah all the teams are equal all the teams have the same opportunity to win except some are more equal than others
0: well again yes and no i I agree fully strategy and i honestly i think you keep the strategy group but it's it's open to all the teams to participate where the some teams are more equal than others and it should stay that way is in the proportionality of the prize money given to the teams everybody's created equal in that they all have a sh- they should all have a share of that pot but how big a share they get is based on their performance
1: yeah but based on performance doesn't mean that we give a special payment no. to Ferrari because they have a horse in their logo. And 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 I'm or, agreeing
0: I'm agreeing with all of that. But but what I'm saying is there, there is some degree of that Orwell concept in the fact that you're doing it based on performance, not on any of these other imaginary factors that folks have thrown in there. Of you know, well, oh, if we win the title three years in a row and stick it to Bernie, we get more money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is everybody gets something, but some get more because they did better.
1: Yes, performance based metrics
0: so there's still a reason to excel and perform better because that's the argument that christian hornerland and several other team bosses have used to argue against giving everybody a share of the the prize fund is this argument of well if you give it to everybody then it's not special well no 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 no, no. that's not what we're saying we're saying it's you not give not it to true everybody socialism but everybody here. but but those you know if you get first you get more money of that prize. you get the bigger share
1: it's not socialism. Socialism would say that everybody gets an equal share. Yeah. This is performance-based metrics, mm-hmm. not historic-based metrics or based on aristocracy. I mean, this is not royalty gets more because they were born into it.
0: And and understand to some extent, that means we're also we're not just arguing against Ferrari's payment.
1: We're also arguing about
0: Williams' payments and McLaren's payments as well because they also get the historic payments, as does Renault now. Renault figured out a way to get that. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, we're arguing against all of that. Ferrari's is just bigger because Ferrari gets a historic payment and then they get a Ferrari payment. Yeah. But think in terms of this. Just getting those historic payments doesn't put you in the front of the grid. McLaren, Williams, I'm looking at you right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but... Williams in some respect is surviving off of that payment
1: right now they are so I mean it would be an interesting thing to see what happens to the grid if the money reshuffled but keep in mind I'm talking about a double reshuffle one you take away the historic payments you take away these artificial payments but two you share out the money equally across the 10 constructor positions
0: I still kind of think that the way you do this in terms of the money, and we'll get more into money in a bit, is you have your prize fund, which is completely and totally proportional. 100%, that's how that goes out. And even if you want to turn around and say, okay, the last two teams, if you don't do well enough, you don't get prize money. However, you then have another bit of money that is based on the media revenue. Mm Mm-hmm everybody that gets 10 percent of yeah, everybody the gets revenue. the same number of that so at least you know you're still getting money from the fia and you're getting the same amount based on the media revenue and in this case in there's a benefit to you as a member of the league as a member of the sport for your team to go out and do promotional activity to build up that fan base to build up the hype and the promotion around the sport because it means that the sport gets to command bigger dollar values for from media, which means overall you would then get more money. Correct.
1: I'm down with that plan.
0: So, moving on. Okay. Um, the Really the only thing that happened in Spa last weekend? Um, it rained
1: during qualifying?
0: No, and, and Jack Nichols at Five Live pretty much some, he, he recapped the race fairly well. Green flag dropped, Lewis Hamilton was on the pole, um, Vettel passed him coming out of La Source, and major crash caused by Nico Hulkenberg missing his breaking point and sending Alonzo flying. Vettel and then won. you could have turned off the TV. Vettel won the race. That 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 was it. Three corners. <sighs> that
1: entire race happened in three corners.
0: Yeah. Now. But-
1: that crash, we have to talk about.
0: We, ha- we have to talk about that. And even before we get to that, just to get it over, I really question the decision that was made of when they called the safety car. Mm-hmm. Because it was obvious the minute that crash happened that you needed the safety car for that, period, the end. But they didn't call that safety car until Seb pulled this pass. And that had to be deliberate. And I, and I don't know if that was done to let the action play out or if it was done because they knew it would have an impact on the race. I can't tell.
1: My theory is that Spa has the longest track in the entire season. It does. So my theory was that where all the cars were that was the melee and the pileup, was behind where the front of the pack was. They did not have to call a safety car until those cars were starting to get closer back around. And they could allow the action to go on and play out and finish up and hold off on that safety car because there was no reason to put a safety car in on four current turns before they actually needed that safety car, which is what happened.
0: Yeah, and and that, I don't know, I I, I don't know what the protocol was there, but I I thought it was a little odd that they didn't pull it out faster because they knew they knew they were going to need it as soon as that crash happened.
1: Well, the other question is, isn't the safety car in the pit lane? Wouldn't it have joined? They would have had to go under a virtual safety car and then into safety car. And I thought they were trying to use virtual safety car less.
0: They, well, they wouldn't have used it, but, but what they would have done is they would have brought the safety car out onto the track and it would have picked up the pack as they came around. Now, yeah, there's a bit of a difference to, or, or a bit of a distance. And, and then the safety car, I don't think was actually in the, the safety car, is it safety car or medical car that starts at the back of the grid?
1: I think it's the medical car that starts at the back of the garage.
0: I have to look that one up now, because now I don't remember whether that's safety car or medical car. I thought it was safety car that starts every race but doesn't finish.
1: I think it's the medical car, but I could be wrong. We
0: will find that out. While you're looking that up, the halo is obvi- – and, and we, we started to talk a little about this last week, not knowing what had occurred while we were talking. Um, but the halo is, has become a topic of concern. Um, or or a topic of conversation this week because it was the first time since the introduction of the halo that truly it came into play. Um, Charlie Whiting believes that odds are, especially looking at the amount of tire marks that were on both the chassis and the halo, odds are the halo deflected Fernando Alonso's car enough that it prevented the car from hitting Charles Leclerc's head. Now, we don't know for sure, um, but and and they're going to be doing more review and more testing to truly understand what happened. Uh, but they believe that at the very least that Halo played some some role in preventing the car from hitting Charles Leclerc in the head. Which, by the way, that car has been completely written off.
1: I bet it Pernando has. Fernando Alonso's
0: car. They are they could not rebuild that one. Now, one of the things they have said that they're going to do. Uh, the FIA said they're going to do, is work on a new version of the Halo for 2021. The idea behind it isn't really so much to change um, how it works and how it functions, but it's more around improving the appearance of the Halo. Because that's one of the things that people have yelled about. Um, But what we do know about the Halo and how it played into last weekend, um, the Halo is currently tested to withstand a force of, 125 um, kn, which I'm sure Phil can tell me what the appropriate abbreviation is. It's probably kilonewtons, but I'm not positive on that. Um, It's an equivalent of 12 tons in weight. Now, the estimate of the amount of force that hit Charles Leclerc's halo was at 56 kilonewtons. And I could be wrong. It could be something else, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, But it was 56 as opposed to the 125 that it was designed for now the measurements that the team has taken of the halo and at the fia has taken the halo in a review of it um they found that there is no distort there was no distortion of the halo from the impact it didn't compress it didn't shift it didn't do anything other than exactly what it was supposed to do which that is a huge success i think
1: well i think that people are going to forever debate whether or not the halo, for lack of a better way of saying it, saved LeClerc's life. And I say this very specifically because, yes, the... Charlie won't commit to that yet. Well, hang on. Okay. Um, the halo was impacted. But keep in mind, the halo sits higher and more forward than where LeClerc's head would have sat.
0: And that's one of the thing, that that's why we don't completely know because obviously it's designed to catch this type of motion and these kind of things going on. So that may not have actually reached his head. We don't know.
1: And that's the thing. And uh, Jolion Palmer had an interesting piece. And he has been notoriously anti-Halo. Mm-hmm. And he had an interesting statement about it based on the fact that he goes, okay, here's the deal. We know that it sits proud of the of the helmet. It's supposed to sit proud of the helmet. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that it hit the halo, you cannot then turn around and equate that to meaning that it saved Leclerc's head yeah. or that it saved his life. You don't know where it would have hit had the halo not been there. And I'm sure that there's some really cool geeks out there and boffins that could do some simulations that, would get you an idea of where it might have hit
0: well i've got more info from charlie whiting about that okay when you're ready um the first thing that charlie wanted to point out was that the initial conclusions like we said are that the halo saw roughly half of the test load but it was more or less in exactly in the same place as one of the test loads is applied to the halo and there was no distortion. There was no buckling. He said, the Sauber guys have crack-checked it, and it seemed to be absolutely fine. So truly, this withstood everything that it was expected to, exactly as it was expected to. But to your point, so when Charlie was asked whether or not he believed that the Halo had saved uh, Charles Leclerc's life, he said, that is something that we haven't reached a conclusion on it yet. It needs a bit of research. To try to understand the accident mechanisms there, it is not possible at this stage to say that with complete certainty. When you look at the video frame by frame, you can see that the suspension was actually broken on the McLaren by its contact with the halo. So that gives you a measure of the sort of loads. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to say that the Clark was probably better off to have the halo there than not. Yeah, let's go with that.
0: Um, I mean, even Nico Hulkenberg, who who has freely admitted that he's been a skeptic of the halo for all this time, after this crash, he's like, okay, yeah, I, I see the point. It, it it makes sense now. I'm yeah.
1: <laughs> I take it back. Yeah. Um. Now, you have to admit that that crash was. Eerily familiar.
0: Very, very similar um, overall in terms of what we saw in 2012, although with some key differences. Um, the big difference was in 2012, that crash, um, the instigator of that crash was the one who went flying. Um, in this case, it was one of the victims who went flying. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the instigator of that crash, one Roman Grosjean. Um, he got a one race ban as a result of this.
1: Now I think we have to take this in consideration of the whole picture.
0: Well, before before we do that, let's also point out that Nico Hulkenberg, who caused the crash through doing the same thing, only got a ten place grid penalty. Because you need to you need to have that for comparison. Now go ahead.
1: Okay. So. Roman Grosjean had had a series of races. Prior to Spa, mm-hmm. Roman Grosjean had had a series of races with a first lap incident. To the point that I believe it was one Mark Webber that said he was a first lap nut job.
0: Uh, yeah, first lap nutter.
1: Yeah. Um, and this was like fourth or fifth straight first lap incident that Roman Grosjean had had.
0: And arguably the most severe.
1: Right. So I think that the reason why Roman got a one-grace ban versus Hulkenberg is Hulkenberg is not, is not notorious for stepping his foot out.
0: Well, that's some of it. The other, because Charlie Whiting explained it, and, and it was very similar to that. It was the fact that, all right, today we've got the penalty point system, which we did not have back then. It was introduced partly in response to that incident. Mm-hmm. If the penalty point system was in place back in 2012, Roman probably would have had enough points on his license from those previous incidents that he would have earned himself a race ban. By comparison today with that penalty point system in place, Nico Hülkenberg doesn't have that many because he doesn't have that reputation and it has not he he has not been getting himself into that kind of trouble.
1: He's not a first lap nutter. Yeah. So I think that's the key difference. And I know that there was a lot of pundits out there that said, well, the crash was exactly the same, so we should have had the same. No, it you've got to take everything in full context. And by taking a single crash completely out of context, it's not the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember. I will never forget DC's... Um, Commentary on Roman at that point in his career, which was, you know, I remember at one point I was crashing a lot and I'm blaming everybody else. And it's, no, was that, that, that? Was, Maldonado? That was
0: Pastor Maldonado. No, the comments that were being made about Roman Grosjean at the time, and it wasn't just David thought it was several others, is that possibly he was racing with a vision issue in that his peripheral vision was not as strong as some of the other drivers, and because he couldn't see what was going on in his periphery that he was getting into these issues. Now, the response that Lotus had to the incidents, um, to, to Roman's incidents, was they called up Jackie Stewart and had Sir Jackie come and give him some counseling and some direction and consulting, and that combined with the birth of Roman's first child is to really be is what's really believed to be why he is.
1: I always drive. thought that it was definitely the birth of the kid and having less of a de- uh, an, uh, a more acute understanding that death is really on the line here.
0: But the the his child was born the next year, so he started to change after that first after starting to meet with, with Sir Jackie, and in the following year, everyone saw another change.
1: Well. I mean, if you just kind of consider timing, I think the baby was born pretty close to the early part of the next season. Mm -hmm. So I probably, I'm going to bet that, um, you know, realities of pregnancy were also hitting him towards the end. It was a combination of things that were happening all at the same time. But nobody's going to tell me that Jackie can't sit a driver down and explain to him, why you have to be safe on the track I mean nobody saw has seen more tragedy that is still alive today than Sir Jackie
0: yeah probably pretty close to that
1: I mean I would put Sir Jackie and Nikki Lauda in the same spot but Nikki experienced I mean Nikki had his horrible crash but I think Jackie saw so much more just because of age and the time period he raced, I think he just saw it. He went through a period of time of like five races where they had lost somebody out like three or four of the five races in a row that it was just, they would get to the track and look around and go, we're going to go home without one of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a reality of what they were doing. And yet they still got in the car every week, which still blows me <laughs> away.
0: So there's some changes coming next season we we know this now we've gotten confirmation from the fi the first one that they're going to be looking to do is to change the camera positions on board the cars for next year so we talked about this right after the season started that we have really lost the over the shoulder camera view and we Mm -hmm. lost that because they put the halo in and Nobody thought to test the camera view before they put that. <laughs> I still don't understand how they ended up at that point. That we made it all the way through testing and nobody realized that this was a problem. I know. Um, so, because of that, we've been getting the view that is actually the camera is mounted on the uh, roll hoop T camera. So that's the one that's above the driver's head. That's that T-fin. There's mm-hmm. a camera that's mounted there, and that allows us to look down over the halo, which the, the FIA then used for graphics.
1: Really kind of cool graphic pattern.
0: It is, although now we, we lost the, the branding that the teams realized that they could use to put the driver's name in there, so you knew who you were looking at. But we lose that now. Um, well, what they, they're they going to be doing, they've already tested it. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you happen to have watched uh free uh friday practice this past week um the Renault cars had the new camera mounted on it already what they've done is it's a fin that's typically either to the left or the right of the driver's shoulder and and i think it's still being run on the current cars they're gonna move it up basically as high as they possibly can um given that you know they're relying on that t-fin I don't really know if moving that camera up is really going to be as helpful. It's certainly not going to be as good a shot.
1: See, and I'm really kind of sad that they haven't figured out how to run a camera straight on that vertical post in the halo. Well, they had originally said that they were looking to
0: mount a camera in the halo.
1: But that's what I thought. I mean, because that is essentially a driver's eye
0: view. Oh, yeah. If you
1: were to put it in the center of the halo
0: yeah i i, I don't know why they haven't done that
1: and get on that
0: yeah hey mercedes
1: start uh, leveraging your b team to go do the research for that
0: <laughs> so the next change that we know is coming for 2019 actually we've got two different changes that are coming to the rear wing uh 2019 they're actually you know how we like the the lower rear wings this year mm-hmm. they're getting raised yeah uh, of course i don't know how far they're being raised there's actually there's a very practical reason for doing this because again in all of this stuff nobody realized that when you lowered the wings and well when you make them wider and then you lower them you obstruct the rearview mirrors
1: oh that's at which bad. point you
0: end up with the issue like we ran into last weekend with valteri Botus. Running somebody off the track because he couldn't see them because the wing was being blocked by the mirrors. So they're going to raise the wings, I, I think a couple of millimeters. It's not a huge amount, but they're raising the wings to improve the visibility of, through the rear view mirrors. Okay. The other thing that they're doing in the rear view mirrors, or, or excuse me, on the rear wing, is they're going to be mounting lights uh, on the vertical p- uh, support arms on the back of them specifically for use during rain conditions to improve visibility of the car. Because right now, the only light is that, that one bit that's right under the exhaust. Right. So these are going to, and my understanding is they're going to mirror whatever that light is doing, which in the rain, I think it flashes the whole time. I think it does flash. So these lights will be to mirror that and just improve the visibility of the other cars on the track.
1: So it's like in the '80s when we started to put the third brake light on the back of all the sedans. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> nice to see the Formula One has gotten. Except to the it's 80s. going to be
0: on the sides. So these are going to be vertical. They're not going to be horizontal. They won't be at the top of the wing. They're going to be on the vertical struts. But yeah, it's going to make them more safer because it's going to make the triangle. Remember <laughs> <Yes>. that argument? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> The other safety change that's being made, and this one, honestly, as fans, we probably won't notice too much. The drivers will notice it, however. There is a new helmet that drivers will be wearing starting next year. Uh, much like the old one, ballistic tested, uh, there are some minor tweaks that are being made specifically around the face opening. The, the face opening may actually be a little bit smaller. Oh. Um, but the whole point of it. A, it's been ballistic tested, but it's my understanding is that it's lighter than the current helmet. Oh, that would probably so. It should be, awesome. be more comfortable for the drivers to wear.
1: That'll be awesome because the, when they start pulling G's, the weight of that helmet starts mm-hmm. to really matter.
0: Now, this is actually this new design is actually a result of about ten years worth of research. It started as a result of. Felipe Massa's crash in the 2009 Hungarian Grand Prix. Wow. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's the one where Rubens Barrichello, I believe in a Williams, a spring fell off the back of the car, bounced off and hit Felipe in the head, knocking him unconscious, and he crashed into a wall.
1: Felipe still has the helmet.
0: Yes. From
1: that crash. And... My understanding is this spring was not a massive like suspension spring. It was a, a, a reasonably sized spring, and it tore through like the. Mm-hmm. Think about the face opening of the of where a helmet is, and then just above his left eye is where that spring hit and tore through. It's pretty
0: incredible. Oh yeah, it, it was a heck of. I mean. This is what happens when you've got a spring moving at 200 miles an hour. It goes and hits an immovable object. Yeah. Actually, in this case, it was a spring moving at 200 miles an o- hour, hitting a driver moving at 200 miles an hour. So it was a combined force of 400 miles an hour.
1: Is that the way that math works? Yes. Can we get that double-checked by somebody that actually passed math?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I'm not entirely sure that the laws of inertia m- do that calculation correctly.
0: Closing distance, yeah, it magnifies it. Reasonably certain. Somebody who knows better, please comment in the comments. Phil. (laughs) Phil. (laughs) So you're reaching out to the resident smart person, I see. Yes. (laughs) So in terms of what is being done to the helmet. So the real technical details here. So. The current Xylon, that's the name of it, Xylon is the material. The current Xylon forehead protection area is replaced with a fully integrated extension of material, which results in the top edge of the helmet face opening moving down by 10 millimeters. The new toughened part will increase energy absorption in the event of an accident by up to 25%. It has been tested to withstand a 225-gram projectile striking a driver at 250 kilometers an hour. The helmet has also undergone extensive military ballistic testing. So Valtteri Bodus drove with it and tested it uh, in the first free practice in SPA, and Lance Stroll was expected to run it this past Friday. Um, but it depended on whether or not there were weather issues, because if there were weather issues, if it was wet, and I don't know if it was, that means they needed different visors. And I don't think those are quite ready yet.
1: Um, it was dry in... All of the free practices in Monza. There was a threat of rain during qualifying.
0: So there you go. So in theory, Charles Leclerc, or not Charles Leclerc, Lance Stroll tested the new helmet as well. And if it's Lance approved, you know it must be good.
1: (laughs) You're going to have to give it up on Lance
0: someday. Oh, hell no. Yeah, I will when he gets out of the sport. And you know, even that's not a guarantee because we still pick on Pastor Maldonado.
1: But he's so pick onable. He was like a giant target.
0: He's like, well, he's
1: actually pretty short. He's a short little walking target. Okay.
0: So the tire tender deal uh, that closed this week mm-hmm. and Michigan, er, see, now you made me do it. I didn't do it before, but now I Michelin. You really did it before. I did not. Michelin has elected not to apply for the new tire tender process. Okay. Um, That being said, others did. It was not just a Pirelli-only proposal that was submitted. Really. So we got the confirmation, like I said, that Michelin did not bid for it. But it is believed, we don't know for sure, it is believed that Hankook has submitted to supply tires to Formula One. So their experience when it comes to Hankook, first off, the FIA knows who they are because they supply the tires for a European F3. But they're, they've also been the sole supplier for DTM since 2011.
1: Ah, so they know something about racing tires.
0: Yeah. So we'll see how that shakes out. I think it could be very, very interesting if Pirelli doesn't get that tender. I'd be shocked if they didn't get it, but it could be interesting. So let's look over at Mercedes.
1: Okay.
0: We're not going to talk about the two big drivers just yet. Actually, we're really not going to talk too much about the two big drivers. We're going to go in a different direction because that's what we do on this show. Actually, Toto Wolf is talking in, in about how they're really struggling – with their junior drivers. Not because they don't have good junior drivers, they're struggling to find them seats. At this point now, Mercedes has not one, not two, but three different junior drivers that they believe are of Formula One caliber that may not they may not be able to put into seats. Uh-oh. So first one is obviously um, Esteban Ocon. They're very concerned about getting him to a, into a seat. But don't forget, they've also got Pascal Verlein and George Russell.
1: But Pascal has driven Formula One, and he did not set the world on fire. He didn't even make a spark.
0: I, I wouldn't go that far. Pascal showed a lot of promise and a lot of talent. He certainly belongs there more than, oh, a Lance Stroll. You, you, you gave it to me. You teed it up. I hit it out. Um, I, I think Pascal deserves to be in Formula One, but there's nowhere to put him.
1: Oh, I could take some seats away and find a spot for him.
0: Yeah, you would, but none of the other teams are willing to do so. And actually, Toto goes on to say, um, that it's getting to a point where there's actually some concern that, um there may be a bit of a stigma associated with some of these drivers and their close association with Mercedes. Mm. I don't completely understand that, but that seems to be some of an issue right now for Esteban Ocon. So they're struggling with that.
1: I can understand that, but... So, so how do you solve that problem? How do you solve a problem like Esteban Ocon?
0: Well, there's a couple of different solutions. The first one that, that you could do is... Um, a Red Bull Toro Rosso solution. That was what Red Bull did. They they wanted eighteen. They wanted somewhere to put their junior drivers and grow them. So they bought a team. Right. Well, but look, there's Force India wanting to be a B team. There, there's that too. Um, really, Mercedes doesn't want to invest that kind of money into a team to make them a fully B team. And in the case of a Force India, um. It's not really clear as to whether or not Mercedes would have free call as to who drives in that team. Again, it's not clear that Force India really wants Esteban Ocon to have a seat. Mm -hmm. So Force India is really not a great solution to that. Toto Wolff says just in terms of financing, it doesn't make sense. What he actually proposes, it's an interesting idea, is three-car teams. With the third-car team being reserved for young drivers with a maximum of two years experience so you fill up the grid more you put more cars on the grid you put junior drivers on the grid in a mix of different cars hmm yeah it's an interesting thought now we've we've talked about something similar before but not necessarily running them side-by-side side in the big race. This would be putting them side-by-side side with the top drivers in the big race.
1: That'd be a lot of cars on the track, and you got a lot of... I mean, you think about every team. It'd only be 10 more cars.
0: It's not that many more cars. It's only 10 more cars.
1: Yeah, but there's 20 drivers on the car grid now. That'd be 30, and I thought they were yeah. capped at, like,
0: 24 or Well, something. that's one of the things. He wants to lift that cap, and you're not moving it that much. But also think about that. Okay, so you've got, you say, a Seb and Kimi in a Ferrari at the front of the grid, and then you've got a Santino Ferrucci in the same Ferrari Maybe he's qualifying further back. You're mixing it up a bit with where these cars are sitting. That could be for some interesting action. Young driver in a more powerful car against, say, a Fernando Alonso and a McLaren. Oh, wait, we have that almost every weekend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, Charles Leclerc versus Fernando Alonso. Um, But wait, I see potential for massive crashing
0: that's some of it also admittedly, safety issues you know that that's some of it also but again remember the only way you're going to get this seat is if you are qual you are eligible for a super license and that bit of calculation needs to play in any time that you're looking to bring a young driver up this is not a willy-nilly you've got a pulse you can fog a mirror stick you in a and you have a driver's license stick you in a an F one car. You've gotta qualify and make your way up there. You've gotta have the super license points.
1: But the other problem with this idea of his,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Ocon's got more than two years experience. Verline might still have a year left in his experience level. But it won't help his current problem.
0: Potentially it might though, because it gives you a little more room to run some of these drivers. No, you know, they'd have a place to stick Um, George Russell. McLaren would have a place to put Oliver Turvey. There would be some room for some of these younger drivers. And it also, in, in, in a case like we're looking at this year, it puts a bit more pressure on Red Bull and Toro Rosso because Toro Rosso is really, really struggling to find bodies to fill those seats this year to the point that... Word is Christian Horner sat down with um, Ferrari in Spa to talk about the possibility of getting Daniel Kvyat back. Because Kvyat's technically a development driver for Ferrari.
1: Get Daniel back?
0: They are that hurting for drivers. The, the trouble that they've got is the two potential juniors who could move in to, to the Toro Rosso seats don't have the super license points to be eligible for a license. Even Dan Ticktum, who they really want to get in there, he's at least a year away from getting the required super license points. Oh. They are seriously hurting for drivers. Hmm. So now you throw a third car into the mix, it puts even more pressure on. You.
1: But see, I don't understand why they're having such trouble. They could just ask Fernando Alonso to drive for them like they did so (laughs) very many other
0: times. (laughs) You had to go there, huh?
1: Uh, You cheated up for me. I had to.
0: I know. Lick that stamp and send it. Thank you. (laughs) So while we're talking about Mercedes, the the last bit there is Mercedes has acknowledged that they are now at, at the first point in probably, oh, since Lewis Hamilton drove for them, where they are willing to consider team orders in order to A, help Lewis Hamilton, but B, help them along in the championship. And as a result, and I guess unsurprisingly, Valtteri Bottas said that if he is given team orders to to help Lewis Hamilton, he would accept them.
1: Ever the team player that Bottas is.
0: Yeah, and and the reality is when, when you look at where Valtteri's position is in the championship, and, and it's some of the reason why Mercedes is willing to make this call. Valtteri doesn't have a chance, unfortunately. He's yeah. done. I, at, at this point, he may be mathematically possible, mm-hmm. but that's about it.
1: Yeah, but you don't necessarily – he's far enough back because he's fourth in the championship. Mm-hmm. So Hamilton, Vettel, and then Raikkonen is up there.
0: So qualifying yesterday touch a little on that we've got a lot of stuff to bounce and we're bouncing all over the place but we're just trying to follow a natural order with teams as you'll see in a little bit so qualifying yesterday um a little bit of a, a touchy spot between fernando and kevin Magnuson. and there's they, clearly no love lofts between the two of them
1: there's not but apparently they thought that they were in the middle of a race and not in qualifying because there was race-like overtaking in qualifying.
0: Well, see, and, and that's—they're not helping the situation. Um, Fernando said that, you know, he had nothing really to lose, and Magnussen wanted a race, and he was upset because Magnussen had passed— because the cars were lined up coming around the, the back end of the track— um, they were lined up for drafting and some other stuff, and Magnuson passed him, and he wasn't happy that Magnuson jumped ahead. So they were racing to get through this, and Magnuson was like... He, he said that Fernando was going slow, and he didn't want to go that slow and had no need to go that slow, so that was why he jumped him in the first place. Um, but there was... The, the radio calls between the teams of Fernando radioing back to his team and laughing that... Magnussen wanted to race in a ter- turn one, and Magnussen yelling to the Haas pit wall, what the hell is Fernando doing? <laughs> there was the F1 feed that captured what looked to be, after this whole thing, Zach Brown and Gunther Steiner arguing in the pit lane. That looked like
1: happened. a bench-clearing brawl that you see in Major League Baseball. All right, I wouldn't uh, go
0: that far. No, but...
1: that's what it started to look like. The two managers go running out right bef- <laughs> right before the bench-clearing brawl that happens. The two managers go running out to each other, and they start screaming at each other. That was the picture of Gunther Steiner and Zach Brown. Um, and the fact that Channel Force Steve, what's-his-face, was... Uh, steve jones steve jones was trying to make odds on well uh gunther steiner has the reach on him but he's he's (laughs)
0: taller and got longer arms so yeah Yeah, but zach brown
1: he's scrappy and he's got a lower center of gravity and then dc just slammed it and said that zach brown was a weeble wobble and he (laughs) knocked over (laughs) but he won't fall down
0: (laughs) yeah that was uh, a little harsh so what alonzo had to say post-race he said, we were all running together at the end of the outlap, and with all that traffic, one of the Haas cars decided to overtake and start the lap in the middle of all the cars that were more or less in position. So we started the lap together, and we reached the first corner together, and we ruined both our laps. There are many classes of drivers, and then there are the Haas ones, who have the third or fourth best car on the grid and are out in Q2. I got into Q2, which is one of the things that I wanted. It doesn't change much for me, I guess, for them, but it's fun, a lot of fun. <laughs> I so, just shake my head. Obviously, Kevin Magnuson was a little upset. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that, uh, let's see, he said, I don't care to speculate why he did it. I think it was just pretty stupid and not necessary. He thought he could have the perfect slipstream and overtake me. He gained I don't know how many tenths, but you gain a lot if you do that. But I'm not going to let him pass me and sacrifice my own lap. No way. I know he thinks he's a god, but no way. Ouch! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, Kevin.
0: So later on, Magnuson said... He came to me after qualifying and laughed to my face. Just outright disrespectful. I can't wait for him to retire.
1: Oh Yeah.
0: You know, Kevin's never been one to really mince words about his fellow drivers. No. Um, there were some interesting words, what was it, last year between, or is it earlier this year, between him and Nico Hulkenberg that we can't replay, <laughs> that were broadcast.
1: Also, weren't... Well, who did Kevin drive with? Was it Button that he drove with over at McLaren?
0: Yes. I don't remember him having issues with Jensen.
1: No, nobody has ins- issues with Jensen. Jensen's- it was Jensen
0: and Sergio Perez that had issues.
1: Well, yeah, but that was Sergio.
0: So, Gunther Steiner also was not obviously happy with this whole thing. Um, what he went to say... Especially in response to the whole thing about um, Haas having the third or fourth best cars on the grid and out in Q2. Um, said, Fernando went to McLaren. McLaren shouldn't be fighting to get out of Q1. So I cannot help him there. I didn't make the decisions. He can talk for himself, not for the others. That's a good starting point in life. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, obviously heated words going between folks right now. Oh. Um but Haas is just looking to pick fights all around. They're picking more fights. So Gunther Steiner also says that he is willing to stand up and block the deal that it, that it looks like may come to fruition around Force India and their prize money. Haas is rather ticked off over the fact that they went two years and didn't get any money Mm -hmm. as a new entity and this is the first year that they're getting stuff and force india goes under they've come back and under the terms of the agreement and the terms of the contract they are a new entity and an agreement is being worked out to allow them to have the the money from the previous team and gunther's pissed to the point that he says that even if he has to go it alone to – because the agreement to give them the money has to be unanimous. Right. And his position is even if he has to go it alone to block this deal, he is willing to do that and Haas is willing to do that. Ouch. Yeah.
1: Well, see, and this is part of the inherent unfairness of it. Because had the agreement been written fairly to start with, and none of this, you have to wait three years until you are eligible to get money, we wouldn't have this argument.
0: Yeah, and, and Gunther goes on to say, he says, um, the other teams, because they are here so long, never went through two years of not getting money. They never had that experience. They don't know how it feels to be left out, nor how you feel if you are left out and if somebody else doing the same gets a new license and does not have to go through this pain of missing out on column one, which is this particular funding, for two years. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't. Know. I think he's right. They, they, they've got a case to stand on here.
1: I mean, I understand it.
0: Now, Force India, from, and particularly Atma Safnauer, says that... Yeah, he understands, but he thinks it's correct that they're getting special treatment. His position is that they're really not a new team. So the whole reason that that was put into place is because there was this rash of teams that would come into Formula One and they were granted entries and really didn't have the financial backing to survive in the sport for very long, and it was taking the sport down. So as a result, it was you need to survive for two years without prize money to show that you're a strong team and you're a going concern and you're viable. Mm -hmm. And as Atmar puts it, we shouldn't need to show that. We already existed as a viable organization. We already existed as an operation. All we did was change names because we kicked out the old owner. But nothing in terms of the financial stability of the team has changed except gotten better. Except
1: you were in administration for a reason.
0: Yeah, there's that issue. But he argues that we've been racing for over 25 years. And he's talking not just in the guise of Force India, but also as Jordan. And I believe there was somebody else in there at one point, too. Um, But he says, doesn't apply. I'm not, I mean, yeah, he's kind of got a point in the fact that they're not starting from scratch like a Haas was, but still, you weren't paying your bills. You really were not effective as a going concern.
1: Well, okay, here's the thing. When Renault bought Lotus, did they have to go through another two years of no payment?
0: I don't believe they did. but That's because I think it was a straight sale. Lotus didn't go into administration.
1: But Lotus had stopped paying their bills. Yeah,
0: I know. That's the thing that I. The only thing they did
1: was they caught it before going into administration.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't quite understand why there was a difference. Now it also may be the timing of when the deal happened. Maybe it didn't happen
1: over the off season, right? But I I, that was the big thing about Haas was Haas was a brand spanking new team. They didn't buy an Mm -hmm. an existing team. They started all operations from scratch. Force India is a bot team. It it, it yeah. you know were no bot Lotus.
0: Yeah, they, they, a lot of the teams that are concerns. on the
1: grid today were somebody else before.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the only two that I can think of, maybe three, if you count Salber. I don't think Salber is is. I think there's always been. It, it's always been the same group. Um, but other than that, you're talking Ferrari and McLaren, because even the Williams today is not the original Williams team that Frank started.
1: Right. He so I think that
0: one went went under, and well, Williams may he... be th- this team may still be the same team that Frank, the second team that Frank spun. Right. So that so yeah, Williams may be in that group too.
1: But one of these teams, and, you know, don't quote me, is the old Benetton team. One of these teams, isn't that Mercedes is the old Benetton team?
0: No, Benetton is the old, Ren, is Renault.
1: Okay, so Benetton became Lotus, became Renault.
0: Actually, I believe it was Benetton became Renault, became Lotus, became Renault.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Jordan team, but... Um,
0: M- Mercedes came from the old honda team that became bar yeah to become f1 or b- became mercedes um who else has had the Salber has i think always been Salber. um red bull was jaguar it was yeah it was
1: jaguar that jackie
0: had- stewart and i think ford at one point um Toro Rosso was Minardi and Minardi was around for a long time I think Minardi was a an original startup concern and and that's only changed once yeah
1: so that's the thing that I think Gunther is wrong on is these teams that are on the grid today they bought existing entries a lot of them bought existing entries
0: but most of that happened before this two-year deal existed
1: right but I, I understand. But. And,
0: and, and his point is still that these teams have been around for a very, even the ones that have changed hands, they've been around for upwards of 10 plus years and haven't had to deal with the two years without money because they've been going concerns in their current guys for 10 plus years. Well,
1: I think that he's got a valid point, but from a different perspective. I think he's got a valid point that he shouldn't have had to go two years without money. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I think Force India should have to suck up two years without money because he had to go two years without money. I think that was a stupid part of the deal. You don't don't
0: keep that, that crappy deal in place just because you had to deal with that crappy deal. Yeah. Make it better. Yeah. So other news around the Force India team, unsurprisingly... Word came out this week that Lance Stroll was at the Force India Silverstone factory this week getting a seat fitted, according to Otmar Safnauer, just in case a switch was made this season. Not to confirm anything, not that this has happened, but just in case something has happened. Now, Lance Stroll. What he was he was asked, you know, being at the factory, did he go, any of that stuff. What Lance said, he re- responding to one of the reporters who asked him, he said, Have you been before? I pretty much saw what you saw. I was just in the area. Just coincidentally, I took a wrong term out of turn out of London. Really? That's what Lance had to say.
1: Lance got lost and ended up in Daddy's factory?
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so um what Otmar has to say about the current situation with the drivers. He said, as we sit here today, we're keeping the two drivers probably for the rest of the year, but you never know what tomorrow brings. I would imagine that Lance has a contract with Williams, and I imagine that the FIA's contract recognition board has that. So the first step is to be released, and that assumes that we want him to be released as well. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not in control of. We've done the seed fitting. We're in control of that. The rest of the stuff is legal stuff, but if two people agree, you can do it. Say we say to Esteban, sorry Esteban, you've got to go. We're going to put Lance in a car, just hypothetically, and Esteban says, sorry, I've got a contract. What do you do? As I sit here today, I don't know. I can't tell, mainly because it hasn't been decided, and for that to happen, a lot of other stuff has to happen, and it's not just a switch.
1: But he's talking about a change this year, which I think would be just darn stupid. Um, but if if I was, I mean, if I was Claire right now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'd be like, I I'd take Ocon over Straw.
0: Well, that's the thing. But but I think if you're you're Claire Williams, you're also looking at it from the perspective of what brought Lance to that to that seat was Lawrence's money. Right. So if they let Lance go early to go take that seat, where does Lawrence's money go? If they can get Lawrence to continue funding the seat, then they're probably going to be willing to let him go. But if it's Lance's going with Daddy's checkbook, they may be willing to say, you know what, you're going to stick it out till the end of the season. Yeah. Speaking of which, speaking of Claire Williams, She says that she does not think that anything will happen until after Singapore, at the earliest, probably closer to Russia. She says, I don't think it's going to happen quickly. There are quite a lot of hoops that we've all still got to jump through around the Force India sale in particular. Once that's happened, I think then things will start moving. I don't think we'll see a change before Singapore, certainly. Um, When she was asked about the timing of the moves, Claire said, I don't know. Maybe around Russia, Austin, something like that. I just think we have to wait and see. It's a real moving target at the moment. So if that happens, where would the pieces fall into play? Well, in theory, Robert Kubica would actually be promoted first because the team is contractually obligated to use him as a reserve, which would leave Esteban Ocon without a drive unless he was placed elsewhere. Now, that being said, you know, maybe they slide Ocon and and word is that there is work trying to get Esteban Ocon into McLaren at the expense of Stoffel Van Dorn. And then others are saying that maybe Esteban could sit out a few races and then replace Kubica over at Williams for the last part of the season. Hmm. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff just rolling around.
1: The right answer is to keep on keeping on through the end of the season and then make your shuffle.
0: I would think, but it, yeah, it, it all depends on what Lawrence wants to do and whether or not he's really happy with Lance not being on his team well, that he that he bought for Lance.
1: My question is going to be when Lance is not performing at Daddy's New Team.
0: Lance is going to continue to drive until Lance doesn't want to drive anymore. They're not going to fire him. Are you kidding me? Lance could turn around and wreck the car every race, and they're still going to give him a seat. The only way that Lance is not going to be that is when Lawrence gets bored and decides he's going to go somewhere else. And if Lance is that bad that he's wrecking a car every race, I'm thinking at the same time they get rid of Lance, Lawrence is selling the team. Because then he doesn't have a reason to keep it anymore. I I will be very hard. It, it will be very hard to convince me that Lance's move was anything other than buying a place for Lance to be in Formula One. Lawrence's move. Yeah, their names are too close.
1: Michigan and Michelin again, huh?
0: That was your fault.
1: It was not my fault.
0: Hey, Sauber. Hey, Sauber. <laughs> so, free practice. Two, i believe it was it was one of the friday practices um major 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 crash for marcus erickson going yeah one into of my
1: teammates chicken. on the fantasy gp world um if you have three not,
0: barrel rolls at least in different directions
1: if uh measured at 37 g's uh, yeah at some point If you have not seen video of this crash in Free Practice 1, stop the podcast, go find it, pull over to the side of the road if you're driving, and then we'll wait. We'll be here when you're back because that was incredible. Um, But do know that the first thing he hit was a styrofoam sign. Yeah. So it looks like there was like an explosion of exploding a part of, but it was an explosion of white styrofoam. Mm Mm-hmm. But then launched three barrel rolls at least.
0: In different directions because it spun one way, landed, bounced, and then spun the other way.
1: Mm -hmm. Shook him up pretty good.
0: Yeah. Um, Team worked through the curfew to repair the car, got it up and running. He was in qualifying, but the entire incident was traced back to a problem with the team's Monza spec rear wing and the DRS flap. Right,
1: the DRS flap is supposed to close upon braking. It's a requirement that it does that, Mm -hmm. and this is why it's a requirement. If it does not close, you don't have enough downforce to brake.
0: Right, and it stayed open. It was a design flaw. They believe they have fixed the issue and that the car is completely safe to drive the rest of the weekend.
1: I'm assured that Marcus Erickson will be very, very happy to know that it is a safe
0: car again. Um, Speaking of crashes... Yes. So in the lead up to the race, uh, because this is Ferrari's hometown, and I think Ferrari, I think Formula One just did this uh, on its own, there was a fan festival in Milan, downtown Milan. Oh, cool. With the Ferrari cars driving around the the streets of Milan in a fairly slow speed. Mm-hmm. But they had crash helmets and on. Um, well, Sebastian Vell had a bit of a problem.
1: Crashed into a wall. He did right now, he, in front of the Davosi.
0: Now he 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 wasn't going particularly quick. He was going slow. Um, he had a bit of understeer and hit the wall. Um, did a little bit of damage. Um, dislodged the car's front wing. Now word is that even though the car had and, and both of that it was one car that they brought to the event and both of them drove this car. Word is that even though this car had. Seb's markings on it, and was numbered for Seb because Seb was driving it, it was Kimmy's car with Kimmy's steering wheel. Okay. Kimmy's steering wheel is different from Seb's steering wheel.
1: You know, it's something I learned this week. Yes. I did not know this, and so I'll share my little knowledge. I thought every team had their own steering wheel, but it's in fact every driver has their Mm -hmm. own steering wheel. And it is... The buttons are colored and located where the driver wants them to be located. Yes. So if you want... Not
0: just the buttons. In this case, it's the clutch. The clutch is on the opposite side of the steering wheel for Kimmy than, than for Seb. Oh, wow. That's, that, and, and that's what Seb said was what happened, was the clutch was on the wrong side, and he made the mistake because he didn't think about it. And was gla- grabbing a clutch that wasn't there.
1: Mm. But it's all of those things. are co- The drivers get to pick and choose where they want all that stuff on their steering wheels. And I never, ever thought that that would be personalized to the driver. It sort of makes some sense. Mm-hmm. But I never thought that it would be personalized to the driver.
0: So, yeah, Seb had a little bit of an incident. Now, if you watch qualifying... Towards the end, there was an interesting little message from Seb back to the team um, when he was told that he was P2 that he just said, we speak after. Mm -hmm. Well, Seb was asked about this at the press conference as to what this meant and what was going on. Um, All he would say, because he was asked if it was about team orders and the fact that um, Kimmy got to go second and had the, the slipstream that he didn't have that. And all Seb would say was, no, I don't think anything related to that. Clearly, I wasn't happy, but I don't tell you why. So he refused to explain whatever it was that had him upset at the end of that. I'm assuming that's because he wanted pole, and his engineer came on and was cheering for Kimmy to tell him that. That's my assumption is what happened. Because it did seem a little odd. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Speaking of Ferrari, Ferrari has, as we mentioned, a new CEO. Yes. Replacing the, the late Sergio Marchionne. Um, one of the things that he has said is that he is backing away from Sergio Marchionne's threat to quit Formula One if the team doesn't get what they want. Nice. He thinks that there are there is um, a common ground that the team can meet that allows them to meet their goals within formula one while the fia makes the changes that they want to make and f1 makes the changes that they want to make and he does not see a need to threaten pulling out of the sport
1: okay
0: uh he also says that as of yet no decision has been made regarding Kimi Raikkonen for next year okay so he is not being told to get out of the way just yet Um, Unfortunately, the knock-on effect is that means that Sauber is trying to figure out what to do with their lineup. Right. Because priority for getting a seat at Sauber, Ferrari gets to make that call. Mm -hmm. Ferrari has priorities to determine who gets one of those seats. And they don't know whether that's going to be Ferrucci. They don't know whether that's going to be Charles Leclerc or if that's going to be Kimi or somebody else. So they don't want to make a a decision on Marcus's seat until they know what's happening with that seat. Yeah. Yeah. What they have said, however, is that Stoffel Van Dorn is not a contender for the 2019 seat at Sauber. Okay. Speaking of which, Stoffel is now speaking out against McLaren. This is the first that we've heard him speak out against McLaren. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, He has actually gone so far to say that um, the team has made no progress this season. And if anything, things appear to be getting worse.
1: Oh, my. That's not good.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, it's hard to argue with it. But, yeah, this doesn't say much for him keeping a seat there.
1: No, it doesn't.
0: So our last bit of Formula One. Is the 20 now admittedly this is a draft calendar? This is not the finalized one. We were October, we're about a month and a half away from it being finalized. But the 2019, the draft 2019 calendar has been released with 21 races on the schedule. Most notably, number one, the return of the German Grand Prix for 2019 at Hockenheim. Nice, so back to back German Grand Prix nice the other big thing to n- note is that the season will end in december admittedly it's december 1st but the season will end in december in abu dhabi
1: it's like the longest calendar year that they've ever had i think it's the same number of races
0: but yeah it's spread out a little bit 21 races um, the mid-season break starts August 4th, which also I think is a little late, and ends September 1st. Interesting. So, the calendar's lining up this way. The season starts on March 17th in Australia, uh, then goes race two is in Bahrain, March 31st, uh, Chinese Grand Prix on August, f- or excuse me, on April 14th, Azerbaijan Grand Prix on the 28th. May 12th is the Spanish Grand Prix, May 26th the Monaco Grand Prix. Jumping over to North America briefly on June 9th for the Canadian Grand Prix, then back to Europe on June 23rd for the French Grand Prix, followed a week later on June 30th with the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, July 14th is the British Grand Prix, July 28th the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim, August 4th the Hungarian Grand Prix, uh going off to the break coming back on september 1st with spa followed the week later uh september 8th with Monza, then september 22nd singapore september 29th uh sochi october 13th the japanese grand prix which appears to be title sponsored by honda next year Ah. Uh, mercedes it appears will be the title sponsor for the german grand prix uh, but after the Japanese Grand Prix on October 13th, October 27th is the Mexico Grand Prix, followed November 3rd by the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. So Which Mexico is a goes flap. first. Yep. Then down to Brazil November 17th, and then wrapping it all up December 1st in uh, Abu Dhabi. Wow. It's busy year next year. Yep. So that weekend. Of the US Grand Prix with the flip flop on uh, November 3rd also happens to be the weekend that the NASCAR Playoff Cup Series, Na- the NASCAR Texas Cup Playoff Race is going to be held at the Texas Motor Speedway. Oh. 200 and so miles away. The NASCAR well, the calendar has been out since March.
1: Well, the good news is that nobody that watches NASCAR also watches F1, so it'll be fine.
0: Well, Texas Motor Speedway president Eddie Gossage says, shame on Formula One for doing this to the fans. Fans have recognized this as the NASCAR date on this weekend since its inception long before Circuit of the Americas was built. I would think a lot of fans, myself included, would enjoy going to both races. Now Formula One is making fans choose only one. Yet another bad call by Formula One showing their infamous indifference toward the fans. Mm. Yeah. Now, the other thing that has occurred around Texas Motor Speedway, um, we've mentioned before that Circuit of the Americas wants an IndyCar race. Bobby Epstein has said that it'd be really cool to have that. Um, but um, the head of the Texas Motor Speedway, who we just heard from, has been really quick to throw out there the fact that there's an exclusivity deal around the IndyCar race at Texas Motor Speedway. Well, it turns out that, one, IndyCar is in the market for another race because it dropped Phoenix this past year due to poor attendance. Um, And that exclusivity deal has apparently expired. Oh. Yeah. So we don't know what's happening or whether or not a race is coming. But it appears that the door could be open. There's now room on the calendar for an IndyCar, another IndyCar race in Texas. And we don't have exclusivity. Wow. Yeah. So, that's all we got for news this week. Which is good, because we went for a while. We had a yes. lot
1: all right well i don't have anything else i was just double checking a factoid that i keep repeating and i am still right
0: and which factoid is that
1: well i had heard some pundit mention because they're talking a lot about what is alonzo gonna do what is alonzo gonna do and if he's going to run an indycar for the full season next year
0: oh so this wasn't your, your upsetness over how old Kimi Räikkönen is
1: yeah i was upset about that also <laughs> um
0: for the record he's 38 not 40
1: yeah but he'll be 39 in like a month yeah um Anyway, I had heard a pundit say that the year after Nigel Mansell won the world championship in Formula One, he also he then went off to IndyCar to run for a season in IndyCar and somebody had offhandly said and he won IndyCar. Mm-hmm. He didn't win the championship of IndyCar from what I can tell. He won the five hundred in his rookie year.
0: So But one of the few times that a former Formula One champion Formula One driver's champion has moved off to another series correct
1: so that's what i was looking up was just double checking to make sure i was not wrong on that um because i would have ended the show on a correction if i had been wrong i would have admitted it okay but i does not appear that i am currently wrong Um, currently currently however kimmy raikkonen is not 40 or 41 like i keep trying to say he is 38 He's still the oldest guy in Formula One and should retire.
0: And on that pronouncement, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone?